0: and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness.
1: This season's episodes are made possible by a generous grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. We are solely responsible for podcast content.
0: Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Last week, we listed the first half of our guest, Sam Dillon Finch's, 10 Ways to Reach Out When You're Struggling With Your Mental Health. To briefly recap, Sam is a mental health writer who recently lost a close friend to suicide. He had a hard time understanding why his friend hadn't called him for help when he himself is a suicide attempt survivor.
1: Then in his own grief and darkness following that death, Sam realized he wasn't reaching out either. And that while the standard advice to tell someone seems simple, it's actually vague at best. In Sam's words... I hesitated to tell anyone I was struggling, largely because I didn't know how. I didn't know what to ask for, and without knowing, it felt too complicated and too futile to ask.
0: So he wrote a fantastic list, Mm -hmm. giving us the language to use when we're in distress or crisis and don't want to be alone. Mm please share this episode. We really believe that this could save lives. Post it on social media, send it to friends and families, because this information we don't hear very often. And just having it at our fingertips in a crisis could make a world of difference.
2: Absolutely. What can we do to help people stay alive? Um, What kind of tools can we give people that don't rely on waiting for a psychiatrist appointment that could take three or more months or waiting for a therapy appointment that's coming at the end of the week or any number of barriers that exist because the system as it is situated doesn't always have immediate support in the ways that people actually live their lives actually need that support. Um, So any tools that we can offer people to help them figure out how to navigate these situations.
1: The tools Sam is providing our specific suggested language, phrases that could get us the help we need and save us the stress of trying to come up with the wording when we're in a dark and unresourced place. We pick up with number six, which is, I'm having a hard time taking care of myself. I need extra support right now around, and then name a specific task. Can you help?
2: I know that one of my big triggers when... I'm going through some kind of episode is that if my apartment is a mess, everything feels about 10 times worse. Um, and I think it's really valuable too, because to be honest, I don't think every single loved one in my life is necessarily equipped to help me when I'm in some kind of like difficult space, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure most of my loved ones can come over and like, I don't know, help me hook up my cable box or help me do like the little things that could improve my quality of life.
1: Mm -hmm. There are so many levels on which this one makes sense, right? The person who's struggling gets some needed help. The person helping gets to lay eyes on them, see their place, and get a feel for how they're doing and what other support they might need. And people who want to help but just didn't know how now have a specific requested
2: way. I think you would be surprised um, by how many people are actually willing to mop your floor if they know that... You really, really need that, and that's a concrete way that they can help.
1: No matter what depression may be telling you about no one caring or you not being deserving of kindness, Sam reminds us that it is okay to ask for a hand. Helping make an appointment, getting your laundry done, going to the grocery store together, whatever would help you move forward. Number seven on Sam's list of suggested ways to reach out is saying, I've been feeling low could you please remind me about what I mean to you or share a favorite memory? It would really help me.
2: And I thought, how powerful would that be if someone were to ask for that from their support systems when they're in a really difficult place? Because arguably, that's the moment which you most need to hear those things. And I also think it's great because there are so many instances in which we don't really want to tell people, like, uh, I'm having this really, really difficult time. So to be able to like make it into something kind of fun, I just think is brilliant because you don't really have to be vulnerable in that situation. You can just say, I'm feeling low. You don't have to say why or how. And then you can invite people to contribute something, uh, whether it's like a memory they have of you or something that they value about you. And I think that's Any time that you can kind of protect your heart and get something really, really nourishing in a difficult place is a really great approach. And that outreach
1: may feel smaller or safer than some of the others on the list. And again, it would counter depression's messaging that you don't matter to anyone. It could prompt a mini version of your own, it's a wonderful life.
2: I really like the idea of reminiscing as a form of healing because I think Those blinders can come up so quickly. And so to be able to reach out to someone and reminisce and remember the life that exists outside of that uh, kind of enclosed space that mental health crises can kind of put you in, I think that's really valuable. That can be over coffee. That can be over FaceTime. That can just be like an email that you send.
1: Number eight is near the other end of the spectrum. This one's designed to sound an alarm. Sam says this is the one to use when your survival instinct is letting you know you're too close to the edge for comfort. Say, I'm struggling right now and I'm afraid I'm reaching my limit. Can you give me a call and then say exactly when, whether that's right now or tonight, whatever
2: you need. So this one was really difficult to put on the list um, because I realized from experience and also thinking about my friend that What happens when you're suicidal and you you realize that you're at the end of your rope? How do you tell people that? How do I introduce something that's really scary in a way that doesn't catch someone off guard, but also really honors that this is an urgent situation? And so trying to figure out what those words would look like, someone can adapt this to whatever language is natural for them
1: number nine on the list acknowledges that not everyone has a very close support network. Sam's suggested language in that situation is, I know we don't talk much, but I'm going through a tough time and I feel like you're someone I can trust. Are you free to talk? And then again, name a day and time.
2: We think that the only people that we can talk to are these really established relationships of people that You know, you've already had these lengthy investments in, but that's not always available to you. And I like the idea that if there is someone that's kind of on your radar as someone that you've thought about being close to, I don't actually think it's ever too late to reach out to someone and just see what kind of support they might be willing to offer. Uh, Relationships can unfold in all different kinds of ways. And sometimes it's very true that a crisis or a difficult time can bring people together. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It can be really helpful to cultivate those relationships.
1: Sam acknowledges that in it, you might not feel you have much to offer to a newer relationship. But you can't let that stop you from reaching out if and when you need to.
2: Because I know people who will go through depression that lasts years and years and years. So when are they supposed to develop a support system? if you wait until you're like what you think of as like the ideal state to be enough for someone. Um, you're gonna be waiting a really long time because you know, there's always some extra step to go in recovery or growth. I think believing that you're worthy of friendship right now and reaching out to those people that you already have a sense that you could get along and really asserting for yourself that you're worthy of those connections, however you happen to be that day, is really, really important.
1: And Sam's final and most critical suggestion is for when subtlety is neither appropriate nor safe. In the same way we're taught to be direct in asking someone if they're suicidal, if you're that someone, it's time for straight talk. Say, I'm suicidal. I need help right now.
2: At least for myself, when I've been suicidal, sometimes I've been really reluctant to say anything, and I forget that sometimes an emergency is just an emergency. And that at a certain point, if it's a life and death situation, it warrants action. And action without apologies. If it's the difference between life and death, there is no reason to apologize, no reason to hesitate. It is okay to just say, I'm suicidal. I need help right now. Keep asking, keep stating what's going on until someone listens without apology, without reluctance.
1: If you're listening to this and thinking, oh, I just could not do that or I wouldn't want to be a bother or burden burdensome one. Realize that is stigma talking, not your much-needed survival instinct.
2: If you drove your car into a lake and the car is sinking and you're just trying to figure out which way to swim, I don't think anyone is going to judge you when you emerge from the murky depths and you wave down a boat. I think at that point people are like, let's get you out of the water. And I think similarly when you're suicidal and you're finally at that point where acting feels inevitable it's the same thing if you say i need help right now it's an emergency that's what it is because oftentimes we look at mental health struggles sometimes it's like some kind of personal problem there comes a point where it's an emergency and it is absolutely okay to respond to it as you would any other emergency
1: Sam and every single other person who has lost someone to suicide will tell you without hesitation that they would rather have been called at any hour of any day or night and been bothered than have lost a life they cared about. If you don't believe anything else we've ever said, believe that.
2: Really and truly, if my friend had called and had said any number of the things on this list... Um, there's nothing I wouldn't have done because I would so much rather than be alive. And at the end of the day, that is really, really very important, is staying alive.
1: Sam is planning to write another list for how to respond if you're on the receiving end of one of these cries for help. And before the ink dries, we'll be calling him again to do another episode.
0: Oh, Terry, believe in you are worthy. You know, that's... That's the bottom line. It's so base. It's base unless you're completely depleted by
1: depression and and convinced you're not and that everybody's better off without you. And then it's not, you know, then you got to really reach for it.
0: Totally. Yeah.
1: That's, it's all just such good advice. And he talks a lot about, because now we're up to the, you know, later numbers on the list where it's a more critical situation, but make these asks, call out for help, say you don't want to be alone, say you're having a bad time, way before you're in a suicidal crisis, way before your basement's flooded, as he used as a metaphor, because nobody would wait until they were nearly dying of cancer to ask for what they need. So we have to treat this the same way and just be able to, maybe we're back to saying, believe I deserve the support to get through this.
0: Exactly. And I can say... um I have tried one of these suggestions and that was reaching out to a friend and asking them to kind of mirror back my value or to me <laughs> or their experience of the me. healing through a reminiscence ta- that he said. Yeah, because yeah. at the time my brain was just telling me horrid things about myself, <laughs> like only horrid things about myself. And I knew I needed to stir in some. Positive reality-based observations that I wasn't able to conjure up within. So um, I actually printed it out and I kept Yay. it. And I assume there will be another day in the future that I'll need to pull that out and be reminded of my value. But it is a, it it was a, it was a great exercise for cool. me. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. I can write you a whole book yeah. if you ever need it. Ooh, I'd love it. I'll
1: print it. <laughs> And we will be linking to this entire list, all 10 points and Sam's blog as well. They'll be on both our Facebook community page and our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And while we're on the theme of reaching out for help, accessing resources that are available to you, there are a lot of people who aren't going to call someone they don't know well and maybe don't feel supported by people they do know well. So our next episode is going to be with John Draper of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's available 24-7. We'll give you the 800 number. It's in the U.S., but there are lifelines in other countries as well. And we will talk more about ways to get the support you need to get through whatever you're dealing with.
0: Yep. And Sam, I so appreciate your candor and keeping it real. Thank you and just his wordsmithing. I love the word choice. It just really resonated with me. Me too.
1: All righty. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Bridget. And we'll talk next week with John Draper.
0: Bye, Terry. Love you. I love you too, hon. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely.